Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. We've been in, uh, you know, first our, our church was in Middleburg all those years and then moved to Cobleskill after Hurricane Irene in 2011. Um, but my family and I, we moved out to New York in 2006. And uh, Pastor Foster, our former pastor, uh, they came in 04. So if Pastor Horn remembers talking to Pastor Mills, that would even be even earlier than that. Earlier in 04, I know 2003 was mentioned. So it sounds like um, you guys, at least in 2003, kind of started getting involved and doing some projects. And then, you know, obviously it grows and you get the equipment and begin working on a, on a regular basis. And, uh, and as we've said, um, we've just crossed the uh, 500,000, or like I said this morning, I think it's cooler to say half a million John and Romans uh, assembled by Lighthouse Baptist Church right here in Schenectady. Many different languages that have gone many different places. Of course, we've assembled many tens, uh, really hundreds of thousands of English John and Romans for local church distribution, for church planters all throughout the Northeast. Uh, we've assembled uh, in Spanish um, over a million Spanish John and Romans through the years, uh, mostly from Mexico City but other Spanish-speaking places as well. And then just many of the different projects. I know we did, uh, well, for about the last two years, we've done just English and Spanish. Uh, let's face it, our world is very different and has changed a lot in the last two years. And, and though they've printed some other projects and some other languages, for about the last two years, it was pretty much English and Spanish. That's what we were working on. Uh, the last major project we had done was the uh, German project. That was back in very early 2020, before everything kind of started going crazy. We did the German John and Romans. Uh, those were for a campaign in Berlin uh, in, uh, that was supposed to be in the fall of 2020. It got postponed to the fall of 21, got postponed again to the fall of 22. As far as I know, it's still scheduled for this fall. Um, the container uh, finally did ship last year, so those German John and Romans are in Berlin. Now, I don't know how many of them they've been able to distribute. I mean, I know there's a missionary there, even though they've not been able to do the campaign. Um, he's got the Scriptures, and so maybe he's been able to get a few of those out in advance of the campaign. But, um, you know, we went, uh, we went a long time with just doing English and Spanish. Of course, there's always a need for English and Spanish John and Romans. Um, but now we've got the 108 or 110,000 Hungarian scriptures that we've brought in. And uh, these are literally the first 4,000 uh, of those Hungarian scriptures finished that are sitting up here uh, in the front. And at the conclusion of the service, we're going to pray over those scriptures and just ask that God would have his hand upon his word as it goes out. But um, over the last 15 years... Uh, as you guys have assembled half a million John and Romans, of course, Northeast Baptist Seedline is, is, a, is a ministry that's based out of our church. We work with churches all over the Northeast. And we've assembled uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6.2, 6.3 million John and Romans in the last uh, 15 years. 
uh, Valley Bible Baptist Church got started with Bearing Precious Seed, partnering with Bearing Precious Seed in the mid to late 1980s. We kind of put our beginning date as, as 1987, uh, though there may be, have been a little bit of involvement uh, doing some things before then leading up to that. But really, 1987 was our kickoff, if you will. And uh, from 87 to present day, it's probably, I have to estimate, kind of, because I don't have fully complete records of those early years, but probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 12.5 to 13 million uh, John and Romans have been produced by all of the various Seedline churches that have partnered with us in those 35 years. Of course, Bearing Precious Seed out of Milford, Ohio, as a printing ministry, started in 1973. So they're almost 49 years old. And in those 49 years, just last year, in fact, they commemorated the printing of the 200 millionth Scripture portion. Of course, that's whole Bibles, New Testaments, and John and Romans. All of the whole Bibles and New Testaments are printed and bound right there at Bearing Precious Seed in Milford. But all of the millions of John and Romans are assembled by churches all over the country. Uh, Milford has three guys that go out and do projects like I do. Uh, they go directly out of the church there, First Baptist in Milford. But then there are several partnering networks around the country that, like ours, um, that, that partner with Bearing Precious Seed and work with churches doing the projects and getting scriptures back and forth. And so altogether, that can be anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 million John and Romans produced every year. So you just multiply it out and, you know, your portion of what we do and then our portion of what they do and you just add all that together and over the course of all of these years, it literally ends up being perhaps several, at least a, a couple billion people that have been affected because they say that for every, every John and Romans that goes overseas, an average of seven people read each one. So if they've printed 200 million Scripture portions, and I know a lot of those are, are used here in the U.S. and church planting and all of those, but still, even if you subtract some from that 200 million to get the overseas total and multiply it by seven, it's over a billion people potentially reached with the Gospel. That's amazing to think about. But then you think about the fact that there are almost 8 billion people in the world, and well, we still have work to do. Uh, there is still work to do to get the Word of God out. And so we're still printing and we're still doing the projects. And of course, my, my schedule has not, the last two years hasn't been quite to the level that it was for the several years before uh, 2020 came. Um, I had been averaging about 30 Scripture projects a year. In 2020, I did 18. And last year, I did 24. So a little bit of a drop-off, but went from 400,000 Scriptures assembled in, uh, in 2020 to half a million or 500,000 scriptures assembled last year. Uh, the way my schedule has, has uh, filled out so far, I, I really do anticipate, unless something really weird or crazy happens, I anticipate doing 30 projects this year. I think we'll be back up to those levels as far as our travels and, and churches being involved. I'm, I'm out almost every weekend between now and Easter somewhere uh, doing a John and Romans project. And uh, so appreciate your prayers for our ministry. Uh, we have a lot of travel uh, scheduled here this, this spring, uh, winter into spring. And uh, appreciate prayers for our churches. We, we, have, uh, we have a lot going on at home. 
and uh, of course, we're on the road quite a bit, so for us, it's balancing you know, what's going on in our home church versus the ministry that God has called us to, working with all of the various churches. Uh, but uh, the Lord gives us strength to do that, and we're thankful for that. On a personal note, I think many of you know, our youngest daughter got married back in December, and so we have been technically empty nesters now for a little over a month. Um, although our oldest daughter has two boys and so our two grandsons who are five and four uh, we have them at least four sometimes five days a week and we're doing kindergarten with them and boy they keep us busy so while we're technically empty nesters it sure doesn't feel like it for much of the week Um, but uh, it's a blessing to be able to have them close and to be able to see them all the time and I know that's not always the case with grandparents and grandkids sometimes there's a lot of distance um, but, but sometimes, you know, when they're close, you get to see them all the time, and, and that's a blessing. And so we have certainly seen change in life and ministry in, in, in the last, last couple years, and even in the last couple months, you know, we've, we've seen change. But I'm thankful that, that the Lord does not change. His Word does not change. You know, we talk about uh, 1987, we talk about 1973, and we can keep going back if we wanted to. This is the same book that was there in 87, that was there in 73, that was there in 1945, that was there in 1900, that was there in, in 1776. I mean, just keep going back all the way to 1611, and we have this book, and God's Word does not change, and I am, I am so thankful for that. Um, when everything else changes, this, this book stays the same, and he stays the same, and boy, that's a blessing. I'm so thankful for that. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at several well-known verses, and uh, I'm just going to take a few minutes here this morning and, uh, and really just share some thoughts with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 14, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of who thou hast learned them. So I like how he says, just continue. What you've learned, just continue in that. Stay in that and continue to learn and grow in those things in which you've received. He goes on and he says in verse 15, that from a child... Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pause for a word of prayer and let's again just ask God's blessing upon our time this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our time together. We thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the safety that you gave those of us that were able to to come in this morning. And I know the weather is not the greatest, but Lord, we're thankful for the safety that you did give us. We're thankful that um, even those who weren't able to make it in have an an opportunity to to join online. And so I know that uh, some are here some are at home, but Lord, we've gathered together around Your Word this morning. And I pray that uh, Your Spirit would speak to us through Your Word as it goes forth this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for Your Word. And Lord, it's so easy to take it for granted. And uh, Lord, help us not do that, but rather help us 
uh, be students of your word, diligent students of your word, and uh, help us to live by it every day. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Pray that you'd bless the junior church downstairs. Bless all aspects of the ministry here this morning. Lord, we're so thankful that we live in a place where we can freely meet to worship, where we can gather to serve, and where we can go out and proclaim. And uh, Lord, I pray for strength for all of those things. Be with us now here in this service. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here as we look at uh, these verses in, in 2 Timothy, it's interesting when you consider the life of Timothy, and we know a little bit about Timothy, we know that he grew up in a, in a godly home, that he had a godly influence in his life. We know that according to uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, that uh, there was uh, a great faith found in both Timothy's mother as well as his grandmother. And he had a, a, a godly heritage. The first mention of Timothy comes in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And those same things are mentioned, that though his father was a Greek, his mother was a Jewess, and that she believed. So he's got a mother that believes, and he's got a grandmother that believes. And Paul in verse 15 mentions that Timothy, from a child, has known the Holy Scriptures. And what a blessing it is to see here in the Bible an example of a, of a young man, and even, you could say, even a little kid who had access to the Word of God. We know that Paul himself was instrumental in the life of Timothy. Paul refers to Timothy as his son, and we know that in the New Testament context of that, that is probably an indication that it may have been the Apostle Paul himself that led Timothy to Christ, that Timothy was his son in the faith. And so his mother, his grandmother, his relationship with the Apostle Paul, you know, before the kids were dismissed, you saw I think there were about six of them sitting up here before they were dismissed to junior church. And I could hear others behind and we even have some still here in the room. And the point is this. I'm thankful that kids have the opportunity to hear the Word of God and to know the Word of God and to be taught the things of God and to have an opportunity to hear the Word of God, to hear the Gospel message and to be saved. We see that in the life of Timothy. He heard and had access to these things as a young child. We know that Timothy as a young man was faithful in the ministry. Paul mentions again, or it's mentioned rather in Acts chapter 16 um, in the introduction there of Timothy as a person that he's proven himself in the ministry. Paul makes mention of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in Philippians chapter 2. He basically says in both of those cases that for various reasons he can't come at that time to that church, but he is going to send Timothy. And why is he going to send Timothy? Because he knows that Timothy is faithful. He knows that Timothy has proven himself. He knows that Timothy doesn't have his own agenda that he's going to bring. But rather, he refers to, I think it's in Philippians, where he refers to Timothy as being like-minded. In other words, what Paul is focusing on, what Paul is majoring on, which is basically the preaching of the Gospel and the establishing of churches, Timothy has that same mind if you will. He's going to go and he's not going to bring his own agenda, but rather he is going to go and he's going to do the work of the ministry as he's seen modeled by the Apostle Paul. He's got the same mind that Paul has, which of course we know is ultimately the mind of Christ, which is there present in the Apostle Paul and in those that he is ministering to. So Timothy not only had a godly upbringing 
and a godly influence there in his family life, but he also grows up and he's, and he's faithful. And, and, and he, uh, he basically uh, uh, has proven himself in the ministry. So he's got a lot going for him, basically, is what I'm saying to you this morning. But here in our text, we see that Paul, he's, if you were to put Paul's epistles in a chronological order based on how he wrote them, uh, most would put 2 Timothy last on the list. I think it's commonly understood that this was, as far as, as far as Scripture, this is the last thing that Paul wrote. He wrote to Timothy, a young man who by this point, many have him in Ephesus, pastoring the church that is there at Ephesus. Paul is giving him encouragement. You don't have to read very far in 2 Timothy to see that Timothy is he's going through some struggles. He's got some struggles in his, in his life, perhaps with his health, um, some, some tears, some, some, some anguish, if you will. So part of what Paul is admonishing him to do is to be strong, to, uh, to be bold, um, to, uh, well, you know, even just, just go back to chapter uh, 1 and verse uh, 8, he talks about being a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And he talks about the tears and he's putting him in remembrance of these things. He's encouraging Timothy, but he also in chapter 2 gives him uh, some admonition to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so he's encouraging him, but he's also admonishing him, you know, be strong. You've got to, you're a leader and you've, you've got to continue on. So Timothy has a lot going for him, and he's continuing in the things which he's learned. But it's interesting, in verse 15, Paul writes that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. See, Timothy grew up in a godly home, but Timothy wasn't born again. He was not saved because he grew up in a home where at least one of his parents was a believer. You know, I had the privilege of Growing up in a Christian home, both of my parents were, were born-again Christians. My grandparents were saved. I mean, that's the heritage that I have, and I'm very thankful for that. But the fact of the matter is, is that when my dad, who was a born-again Christian, and my mom, who was a born-again Christian, when they got married, and then they had me, they didn't produce a brand-new baby born-again Christian. They produced a little sinner who was in need of a Savior. See, I'm not saved because my parents were saved. And that's true of the young people that are still in the room and the young people that were up here. And, you know, some of them, maybe most of them, they're growing up in a home where mom's saved, dad's saved. That doesn't mean that they're saved. He had a lot going for him. He proved himself. He, he, he was faithful. But, you know, this verse reminds me also of the verses over in Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible tells us, for by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved by our good works. I don't care how faithful Timothy was. I don't care how proven he was. I don't care how wonderful of a testimony he had. All those things are wonderful, but that's not what got him saved. That's not why Timothy was on his way to heaven, because he was working, working it out, so to speak. No, he was... He was uh, he, was, he had a good testimony and he was proven and he was faithful because there was a point in his life when he came to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked Jesus to save him. The Holy Scriptures 
able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, if we were to go back to John chapter 3, and we would look at the account where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and uh, you know that passage and how Jesus talks about uh, uh, being born again. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus, he's confused. What does that even mean? Can a man enter into his mother's womb the second time and be born? And Jesus says, ye must be born again. Twice, Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order for a person to enter into the kingdom of God, in order for a person to be saved, they must be born again. Must be born again. Timothy here has, from a child, he has known the Holy Scriptures. And it's the Scriptures which made him wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That phrase, born again, interestingly, is only found one other time in the New Testament. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Why? Verse 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. How is a person born again? By the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. In the parable of the seed and the sower in Luke chapter 8, the Bible tells us that the seed is the Word of God. And we know that we, we understand the principle of sowing and reaping and all of those things. We understand the principle of seeds going into the ground and ultimately life springing from those seeds. Well, in order to be born again, in order to have new life, how does one get that? Well, there has to be a seed that is planted. And what is the seed? Well, according to the Word of God, the seed is the Word of God itself. Amen. This book is the seed that is planted. So I wanted to make sure that we, we started there because we're going to see that all, every aspect of our Christian life has to do and is tied to this book, to the Word of God. Our very salvation begins when the seed of the Word of God takes root in our hearts, is planted there, and that is from what new life springs in our hearts. That is how we are born again, through the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And by the way, that, ho that happens in a moment in time. That is not a long process that takes place. That is a moment in time process when a person is born again. But our salvation and I use that term broadly, and, and I want to make sure I clarify this. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a process of growth that takes place in our lives. Amen. There is a process that takes place. That's, where, that's when we get to verse 16. Verse 15 is that moment in time when a person accepts Christ as their Savior. When they place their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, at that moment in time, a person is saved and born again. But then there is a growth process that takes place in our lives. All Scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See, this book is the seed, the incorruptible seed by which we're born again, 
But I want you to understand this morning that that does not mean then that once we're saved, we're done with this book. Right? right? This book is to be what rules and guides our lives throughout the entirety of our life here on earth. It is the seed that brings new life, but the Word of God is also likened to water, Ephesians chapter 5, washed by the water of the Word, so that life has to grow. You know, and, and you even, again, you see that in the picture of a baby that is born. It's a moment in time. Usually the exact time is noted on the birth certificate. That's the moment of birth. But then the natural course of things is that for that baby to grow into a toddler, to then grow into a child, to then grow into a teenager, to then a young adult. And you see how the growth takes place over a period of time. The birth happens in a moment of time, but the growth takes place over a period of time. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that the Word of God is just as vital for our growth as it is or was for our birth. Amen. Amen. We see that by looking at some words here in our text. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable. I've heard it said before that all Scripture is not written to you, but all Scripture is written for you. Some of the passages in Scripture are written specifically to the Jews. Some of the promises in the Word of God are specifically to the nation of Israel. They are not to us as the church, but they are to the nation of Israel. However, all Scripture is for us. It's for us. What's it for? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And for sake of time, we're not going to get into those necessarily this morning, but the words that I want to look at are actually found in verse 17. It says that the man of God may be perfect. Now, when we hear the word perfect, Oftentimes we think um, in, 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 uh, in, in human terms, we think, well, I, 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 well, let me ask you this. Who in here is perfect? Anybody perfect? See, nobody's raising their hand. I, I shouldn't raise my hand. That, that was just for an example, in case you didn't know what raise your hand meant. I'm not perfect either. None of us are perfect. But that's because in our minds, we equate perfection with sinless. Never make a mistake. Never do anything wrong. Well, nobody's perfect. I mean, you've heard that said. But this word perfect in the Scripture doesn't really mean sinless perfection because it says here that the man... So, you know, all Scripture is profitable for these things. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. Oh, so you're saying that I can be perfect? Well, in the sense we're not talking about sinless perfection. That comes later. But what we're talking about, that word means complete. It means mature. It means that it is possible for a person to grow in their faith to such a point that they can be mature and complete in their faith. Now that doesn't mean that even when a believer gets to that point that they never sin again. Because as long as we're in this body of flesh, we're going to be sinners. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things we ought not to do. But we can grow to a point where we are mature in our walk with the Lord where we are complete. And again, when I say complete, I don't mean like, like I've arrived. Everything is complete. We're always going to be a work in progress. But there is a, a point in time where we can grow, in a sense, to a, a point of completion where, where we have matured in our faith. We have grown up. 
Again, you, you picture the stages of growth from infant to toddler to young child to teenager to young adult, but then a person, there comes a point in time where a person becomes an adult. And then they're, you know, they've, they've grown to maturity. Now, that doesn't mean they've arrived. It doesn't mean they're, they're sinless, in keeping with our spiritual example, but they've reached adulthood. We can reach spiritual adulthood. How do we do that? By the Word of God. By the Word of God. That phrase, throughly furnished, likewise, it means, by the way, that the Greek word that underlies that word perfect, it's the only time it's found here in our Bible, the Greek word. It's the only time it's found in the New Testament. The Greek word, and I don't write down the Greek words in my notes, so if you want to look the Greek words up later, you can, or ask Pastor Horn. You know Greek, right? The Greek word that underlies throughly furnished is only found one other time in the Bible. It's in Acts 21, verse 5, which says, And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. That word accomplished, it's the same word as throughly furnished. It still has the idea of to be complete or to finish. In other words, to reach spiritual maturity. That is what the Word of God is designed to do in our Christian lives. Uh, a, good, uh, a, a good companion verse to this is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul writes, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." Now, several things in that verse. First of all, there's a good work that has begun. And once that work has begun, it's there. It can't be unbegun. If that's even a word, probably not. But that, that work is there, and that work will, and, and he that which began that work, so, so who is the author of our salvation? Obviously, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that began the work in our lives, and, and then is it up to us to perform? See, we think of, we, we see that phrase, will perform, and we think of a performance. We think, okay, that's what I have to do. I have to. I have to perform the Christian life. But you notice in this verse, we're not the ones performing. We're not the ones doing the work in a sense. Being confident of this very thing that He which hath begun a good work in you, and I'm, I'm inserting a parentheses word in there, He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, He will grow us. He will mature us. Now again, please understand, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing. But we allow Him to work in our lives. We allow the Word of God to, to penetrate our lives, to grow us to maturity. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. I mean, we do have to do our part. We do have to study the Word of God. But ultimately, it is the Lord that will do the work in our hearts and in our lives to bring us to that point as we study, as we respond to the Word of God, doing what we're commanded to do. And please, again, realize that that is a process that for really all of us, it's going to last for our entire lives. Some of us may reach a state of spiritual maturity, but that doesn't mean we've arrived to a sinless point in our lives. That comes later. Some of us, you know, we, we don't mature as quickly. I think back to when I was a kid and when I was in school and, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and, 
you know, you could just sit there and you could look around at the kids in your class and, you know, some were maturing and others, not so much. (laughs) Not so much. But, you know, the same thing is true in our Christian life. Some of us, we get into the Word of God and we study and we allow the Lord to work in our lives and, 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 and we grow in our faith and we mature in our faith. And then others of us, well, we're a little immature. And we don't get in the Word of God the way we should. And we don't study the way we should. And, and look, we're all guilty of that from time to time. But the point that really that I'm making is this, as we look at these verses, that it starts with the Scriptures being the incorruptible seed by which we're born again, but then the Word of God becomes that by which we grow in our faith. We grow and we mature. But I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I think we'll be here for the remainder of our time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Word of God is key and vital and critical When it comes to our new birth, it's critical for our growth. But do you realize that also the Word of God is a key component in our ultimate glorification when we put off this flesh and when we're resurrected at that event that we know as the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, But some man man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And he goes on, talks about different bodies and things like that. But again, keep in mind this picture. There's a seed, and ultimately that seed is transformed into Uh, a, a certain type of body if you will notice verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption and again notice that word we read that same word in uh, those same two words in first peter chapter one not corruptible seed but incorruptible seed by the Word of God. So the Word of God is that incorruptible seed. Notice that at the resurrection, our body is changed from corruptible. It's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And he goes on and he talks about the first Adam Uh, And then the last Adam, which is Christ, and the first being earthly, and the second being heavenly, and so on. But, But go down to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, in other words, this physical body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Remember, in order to enter the kingdom of God, ye must be, what? Born again. How are we born again? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, 
and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. There is coming a day when this corruptible body will be changed and we will put on an incorruptible body. By the way, how does that happen? Happen? Well, by the incorruptible Word of God. Uh, the classic passage that goes, uh, the companion passage, if you will, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice this, notice this threefold reference here in verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So there's a shout. Well, what is a shout? Well, is that not just a loud voice that is going forth? Notice also the voice of the archangel. So there's a shout. There's a voice. It says, and with the trump of God. So there's a sound that the trump makes. Now what is that? Well, it's interesting that when you compare that with Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. So apparently trumpets can speak, and this trumpet, this voice, this shout says, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. So John, he hears a voice, he hears a shout, he hears a trumpet, and immediately he's in the throne room of God. Amen. Likewise for us, we're going to hear a shout, we're going to hear a voice, we're going to hear a trumpet, and I don't know, I think we might even hear the words, come up hither, and immediately we will be in the Spirit and we will meet Him in the air and be taken immediately to the very throne room of God. The living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, His name shall be called the Word of God, Revelation 19. The living Word of God is going to come forth and speak forth words, the Word of God. And by that, that is what will change us from corruption to incorruption, from mortal to immortal, when that Word of God goes forth. All He has to do is open His mouth and speak the Word. And, by the way, the dead in Christ rise first. Those who are in the grave, they hear the shout. They hear the voice. They hear the trumpet. They're raised first. Then, we which are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And forever will we be with the Lord. And so, do you see how the Word of God is the incorruptible seed by which we're born again. The Word of God washes us and cleanses us and grows us in our Christian walk, in our faith, and brings us to a point of maturity, of completeness in our walk with the Lord. And then one day, whether it's after we're dead or whether it's when we still alive and remain, are alive and remain, the Word of God will sound forth and we'll be called up and we'll be instantly changed. That's the moment in time where we truly reach sinless perfection. You've probably heard this before, and I love this, I, I love this little outline. Um, but uh, uh, when you look at the, the three aspects of our salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, and remember, our justification, the moment we're saved, that happens at a moment in time. And our glorification, that moment, that twinkling of an eye moment where we're changed, 
That happens in a moment of time. But between those two bookend moments in time, you have this sanctification, which that's the process by which we grow. But I've heard this said, I've heard this outline given and preached, and I think it's great. At our justification, at our moment of salvation, we are saved from the penalty of sin. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as Savior, then guess what? Good news. You are saved from the penalty of sin. And you no longer stand in condemnation before a just and holy God. Our sanctification will free us and save us from the power of sin. Do you realize that you can be saved from the penalty of sin, but you can still live trapped in the bondage of sin? Do you realize that as a Christian, you can still be held under the sway and the power of sin in your life? But you don't have to be. That's the beauty of the Word of God as we allow it to, to take root in our hearts and our lives. It will cleanse us. It will grow us. It will mature us. And we can be saved from the power of sin in our lives. It's always going to be there, but we don't have to be under its power. Justification, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we can be saved if we allow the Word of God to take root in our hearts and lives. We can be saved from the power of sin. At our glorification, we are saved from the presence of sin. See, it's no longer there. It's, it's no, you know, we can be saved from the power of sin today, but it's still there. It's still that battle that we fight. But at the moment of our glorification, from that moment forward into all of eternity, we are saved from the very presence of sin. No more struggle. No more fight. No more battle with the flesh. Those are some wonderful things to consider. And as we print and publish the Scriptures, it is so we can send them around the world so people can kind of take that first step so that the incorruptible seed of the Word of God can be planted in the hearts of those in this case, in Budapest, Hungary, so they can have an opportunity to be born again into the kingdom of God. But then the Word of God, the, the, the need for the Word of God doesn't stop there. They need the Word of God. They need to move from a John and Romans to a whole Bible so they can grow in the whole counsel of God and reach that point of maturity, knowing that because they are rooted and they are grounded in the Word of God and because they, have, they are eternally sealed and secure by the Holy Spirit, that that moment of, of glorification will come for them as well. That's why we print and publish these Scriptures. That's why you guys have produced half a million of John and Romans over these last 15, 18 years, whatever it is. That's why. Because it's the incorruptible seed that we need to get out into the vast harvest field of the world. But I want to close with one more verse. Uh, verse uh, 58 here in 1 Corinthians 15. Similar close, if you will, to our Sunday school message this morning, if you were here and heard that. Because verse 58 says, Therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of all of these wonderful things, concerning our glorification and this incredible future that we have awaiting us, in light of that, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In light of the fact that we are going to stand before Him one day in incorruptible, glorified bodies, Knowing that that is a fact, how now should we live our lives? 
Well, three things. Be steadfast and unmovable. How can we be steadfast and unmovable when the world around us is constantly moving and changing and going crazy? Well, it's by standing on this solid rock, the Word of God, the anchor that we have, because this book does not change. Stay strong on the Word of God. Do not waver from it, regardless of what goes on around us. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.